Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Sex educator Lex Wilson is a non-binary black human located in the capital of the United States, where they do harm reduction work at Johns Hopkins. They also work as an anti-oppression educator focused on reducing shame and increasing education around sex, racism, ableism, misogyny, and many other forms of bigotry. Today, we talk about working from home and working in person, as well as tech anxiety and other challenges that many folks have experienced navigating the mid to hopefully late coronavirus pandemic of 2020. Welcome, everyone, to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Lex Wilson, um, who uses they, them pronouns, teaches sex ed, and works in harm reduction. Welcome, Lex. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I know it's been a while since me and you have spoken, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be good. We can catch up. We can talk about all kinds of stuff. For sure, for sure. Um, I recently got a chance to connect with a few people from Converge, which was a lot of fun. Oh, who? How's that? <laughs> How are they doing? Um, uh, Kathy Vertuli in San Francisco um, is actually someone who's been on my mind lately, but who I haven't uh, actually connected with and caught up with yet. But I did get a chance to speak with Kale, of course, because Kale lives in Vancouver, yeah. which is amazing. And they seem to be doing all right, although hilariously, they're in SoCal right now, not in Vancouver. Huh. Look at that. Yeah. With their adorable dog, Gary. Oh, my God. I could talk. I could talk about their Chewini all day. They have, <laughs> they have a Dachshund crossed with a Chihuahua. Yeah, I like Chewini. I'm going to stick with that term. Chewini. Uh, Just yeah, adorable. Chewini. Yeah, I'm I'm enamored with Gary. I'm very much like a Gary for president, more Gary always. Like I've started hashtags for her dog. I'm I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I support Gary. Uh, Gary 2024. (laughs) I'm I'm with it. I love it. uh, Biden hasn't moved in yet. We could maybe try to broker a deal somehow. See if we can like get Gary up in there and Biden can consult. That could be. That could be cool. I'm kind of into it, to be honest. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's uh, funny um, when you mentioned Kathy. Actually, uh, I don't use Skype all that much. And so the last time that I logged into Skype was to talk about um, Converge this year, which uh, was uh, virtual. Mm-hmm. And Kathy had asked me to be on a panel with her and Jet. So Kathy's actually the last contact I had up in my Skype when I opened it today to talk to you. So funny for you to mention her as well 
Yeah, she's lots of fun. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love Kathy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and of course, Anne as well. Um, erotic education with Melody Anne. Oh, yes, I love Anne! Yeah, she's such a sweetheart. She's also from Vancouver, so of course I hang out with her from time to time, although not right now because... Um, she is immunocompromised, and uh-huh. I don't think that's a secret. I think that's fine for me to share. And uh, and it's a pandemic, so she's like, great, I'm at home, not seeing anyone. Everything is terrible. This is fine. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of quarantine, me and my friend hosted, like, a virtual sleepover kind of deal, and yeah. Anne came, so we did get to see her. Um, she had a very, very cute, like, dinosaur onesie and was showing us her dogs. It was, it was very sweet. Um, but that was... It's weird to even say towards the beginning of quarantine because this is a thing that has lasted so long, but right. more towards the beginning of quarantine, like <laughs> seven months ago, um, I did also see Anne. So it was nice to connect because uh, we don't really get to see each other a lot in person anyway, you know, even apart from this pandemic, because as you mentioned, she's from Canada. So I only really get to see her at conferences or at uh, work-ish sort of events. So mm-hmm. it was nice to kind of see her um across all this time and space for this little sleepover uh so it was you know one small perk i wouldn't say a perk of quarantine but it was nice to be able to do you know (laughs) yeah folks are trying to rely on online connection for sure like a lot more than usual i think the downside is it hasn't made anyone more tech savvy right you would think with how much i'm on my computer now i would be some sort of tech whiz but that's not I think I'm actually losing skills uh, more than anything. I try to like move between my multiple different inboxes and I can't do it. So I think I'm actually stunted from being in quarantine, which is really just not fair, you know. It's so unfair. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't work like that. It's like increased exposure to problems does not turn people into yes. problem solvers. Increased exposure to problem solving does. So I would just say... If you're having one small issue, like one small tech issue, try Googling that one small tech issue. And if you run into language you don't understand, be like, okay, I'm shelving this project and my new project is understanding this language. And you just have to kind of do that until you get down to one like little atomic problem and you're like, cool, I learned today what this thing is called and I'm shutting my laptop and walking away. See, I get caught at the shelving part. I just keep shelving stuff. And I have, like, this giant library of stuff that I was supposed to have done. And I'm like, huh, look at all this stuff I'm supposed to learn. This is daunting. Okay, anyway. And I just kind of file it, you know, compartmentalize it uh, for later. So lots of stuff to do on a rainy day, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like it's one of those things where you're like, I could do all these challenging things, but they're overwhelming, so I'm not going to. Right. Yeah, that is the story of the pandemic. If the pandemic were, like, one play, that would be, like, that would be the play. (laughs) All the stuff I should do. I'm going to do none of it. Good night. Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) Given all this time on our hands and all this access to everything we need to take care of our problems, I just choose to watch Netflix. Uh, (laughs) But but I will say I did get to Inbox Zero, and I am very, very proud of that. Uh, I'll hold a moment for clapping. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, I did. Inbox Zero. It was hard. It was a long and winding road, but I but I did it. I did manage to do it. Thank you, everybody, so much. <laughs> You're like, I would like to thank following people. If you could see me, I'm doing like a Miss America wave. Amazing. 
the stuffed animals in my room. They're not waving back. Um, but, you know, that's okay. That's okay. That's how you know you've been in quarantine too long is when your stuffed animals start waving it's back. It's when they wave back, right, exactly. That's after the next six months. <laughs> well, you know, there is supposed to be, um, like, two different vaccines have already made it to Canada. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're starting to vaccinate the population, which is good. Yeah. yeah. We it's, also um, have... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you you go. Oh, no, we also have two vaccines, and they're starting... I don't know what Canada's doing. I know we have, like, um, this kind of tiered plan. So, like, first is the elderly and healthcare yes. workers. So right now, some of my peers who work in healthcare have gotten it. One of my friends is a doctor, and I know he just... They, excuse me, just got it. And um, another one of my coworkers, because I do work for Johns Hopkins, so I do work in healthcare. Uh, so one of my coworkers who has been engaging clients more directly through quarantine. Uh, they got theirs last week. Uh, yeah, last week. I had no idea you worked for Johns Hopkins. That's amazing. I do, yeah. I work um, at a non-men's center uh, for folks who... It's a harm reduction center, so it's primarily for folks who are involved in the sex trade um, and folks who use drugs, also folks who are experiencing homelessness. Um so we've been closed mainly for quarantine and offering services in a different capacity. So we've been doing a lot of outreach services. But as for, you know, folks coming into us, uh, we are closed. So uh, I'm an art teacher there and I do some other stuff. But I have been able to work in the normal capacity. Don't really have me, you know, can't have an art class without students. Um, right. So it's been some of my clients who have been working more. Uh, excuse me, some of my coworkers who have been working more with clients through quarantine, um, and only a couple of them because our job's really trying to limit how much exposure we have on both sides. Um, but one of my coworkers, excuse me, who does do direct outreach, uh, I think we're doing it three to four times a week. They did get their shot. Um, so, yeah. little tidbit about my nine-to-five professional life when I'm not teaching sex ed. Cool. Yeah, that is super rad work. Um, I take it since you're in harm reduction, you probably know lots about Insight um, from Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Super, super proud that's from here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Um, harm reduction, uh, like Sex said, is pretty insular. So even mm-hmm. though um, harm reduction obviously is a practice that happens all over the world, I still do feel fortunate that it's insular so I can be plugged into like peeps who are in Canada or folks who are over in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes how small it is is a little daunting, which can be said of sex ed also. But for the most part, I do enjoy it. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's oh, it's so interesting. I, I know so little about harm reduction other than the statistics that I sort of learned about Insight and how effective it was when I was like arguing against defunding type stuff, which was there was a lot of highly conservative Canadians that were trying oh. to argue for defunding it, of course. Um, and it was like, but, but you're all about saving money and it saves us money. And they're yeah. like, it's, it's immoral. And it's like, yeah, but when yeah. I talk about moral things and want to spend money, you're like, it's expensive. So I'm like, it's too expensive to not offer it. Well, it's interesting, right? Cause uh, the same thing happens here, but you have a lot of conservatives who will purport that a bill is about uh, being economical, about saving money, and then you kind of push right. back on that, and they're like, oh, but it's about keeping people safe, and then you push back on that, right? And right. you say, okay, well, did you know that having clean needles actually helps reduce the likelihood of people contracting HIV and hepatitis? And then people reveal, oh, yeah. well, drugs are bad. Oh, okay, so that's, well, you could have so, just said that from <laughs> the beginning. 
if you had just yeah. led with drugs are bad, that would have saved us all a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't even engage, yeah. Yeah, but here we are, drugs are bad. Okay, well, whatever. Say that yeah. to, you know, when you have a cup of coffee every day or drink exactly. wine every meal, right? Right, like, well, why don't and, you and Especially when people bring up alcohol. I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. think of like what a more widespread and destructive drug that's not really regulated much at all. Right, right, and right. And primarily, I, sorry, you go ahead. <laughs> sorry, no, I talk a lot, so I, I apologize. No, you don't need to apologize. You should talk a lot. Um, something that I like to have folks interrogate for themselves a lot is like uh, this conception we have of hard drugs versus soft drugs, right? Mm. And so I'll ask people, okay, well, what is a hard drug? And people usually say things like heroin and cocaine and acid. And then I ask them, okay, well, why are they hard drugs? Um, Mm. Well, because they're not natural. Okay, well, heroin, I mean, opium and stuff is pretty natural. Mm. You know, uh, mushrooms are pretty natural. Mm -hmm. You know, caffeine is pretty natural. Alcohol is pretty natural, but certainly alcohol can be very, very, very destructive, can it not? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of getting people to push back on that, or even people like to, I hate this, but a lot of people say like, oh, weed's not a drug, which ostensibly is kind of good, right? Because they're saying that there shouldn't be stigma around weed. But mm-hmm. it's actually usually from this like binary of hard versus soft drugs. Or people right. are like, okay, well, drugs uh, are bad, but marijuana is not really a drug. So it's fine. And I'm like, okay, I get that you want to reconcile that you use pot a lot. And I do too. I love to be a pothead, <laughs> right? Sure. And you want to like feel good about that, which is fine. You shouldn't feel bad for being a drug user, but you're not like now better than other substance users because you use this substance that's not as bad. You can have a psychotic episode with marijuana marijuana. Um, you can react very poorly to it. I've had myself, uh, many friends, excuse me, react poorly to pot. I've had times where I reacted poorly to pot. So I think the more we unpack and interrogate, like I said, this binary weird conception of hard versus soft drugs, the better off we will all be, you know? Yeah, agreed. Caffeine is just as much a substance as pot. Um, so is alcohol, which is a great example that you brought up. And like I said, Alcohol can be very, very, very damaging. So I don't know why people don't include that. Well, I do know why, you know, along with hard drugs. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, especially Whatever people sleep at night, I guess is the short way to say that. And, and they did used to, right? If you think about prohibition yeah. and like how much people used to hate on alcohol, the only reason they gave it up was because they saw that locally the legislation was causing organized crime to become stupidly wealthy. And I I think the only reason we haven't banned prohibition on things like cocaine is because it's not causing the local damage that it's causing in places like Colombia. Right. And policy and, uh, I was actually going to do this at a conference before COVID, which canceled the harm reduction conference that was supposed to be in Puerto Rico this October. Um, so, so sad. Yes, very sad. Um, obviously, I'm mostly sad about not being able to participate in this educational opportunity. Not at all because I didn't get to go to Puerto Rico. That is <laughs> the furthest thing from my mind, being on the beach. I was not thinking about that at all. I was thinking about the conference. So of a course. real Really and, and sad of, to have missed on that, again, educational opportunity. And of um, course, no one's sad. About yeah, I'm not even thinking people. about the beach or the cocktails. I don't even That's know. Right. It's the educational. Didn't even Sorry. think about it. Um, just thought about getting up at 8 a.m. to present about the nature of harm. Um, but funny <laughs> enough, one of the um, panels that I had put in for with a good friend uh, who's also in harm reduction was about the construction of harm. 
and how we understand notions of harm through space and time and how largely that's been less of a response to substances for any inherent harmful quality and more to do with like legislation and policy. Um, if we look right now, uh, the U.S. is dealing a lot with um, opioids and synthetic opioids, right? And the way that our country is handling this is very, 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 very noticeably different than the way we handled like the crack epidemic in the 80s, which has a lot to do with who are the primary uh, users, right? The demographics (laughs) um, and how we want to treat those people. So it has less to do with like, oh, crack was just like so much worse than opioids and the fact that like poor black people were doing crack and we like hate them and want to punish them. And so now that we're seeing a lot of opioid users who are young and white, the response is noticeably different because of how our society wants to treat this demographic of people. So less to do with, um, like I said, crack being harmful, uh, less to do with opioids being less harmful and more to do with just the typical biases, you know, typical political bias. Oh, fuck. Yep. Oh, God bless America. Yeah. 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 I got nothing. I have yeah, no response to right. that. That is, you succinctly laid out all the issues and we're like, here's how it is, deal. <laughs> yeah, it, it is what it is, which I say not to insinuate that there's nothing to be done about it, but right. America is its own beast, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's incredible to me as a Canadian to watch because in so many ways we're so similar That when the differences make themselves known and noticed, it's so jarring. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We had a perfect example. Um, We had a protest, an anti-mask, anti-COVID vaccine protest in the Toronto Mall. Wow. You can look up the footage. It's five minutes that looks like experimental theater. Yeah. It's literally like 12 people. That was the protest size with a authoritarian sounding voice that was delivering like all of these fictional PSAs, like questioning masks is murder and like all these like silly slogans that you're just like, okay, like these people clearly don't understand the issues in my opinion, as a person who believes themselves to be informed. (laughs) Clearly this person has done hours of research, which makes them far more qualified than any doctors in society. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Not to mention the copious usage of sheeple, Um, (laughs) clearly they know better than me Uh, but it's like 12 people that are wearing all white they're wearing um, faceless masks so they're they are conforming to like the mask guidelines and they're just walking through like zombies with this authoritarian thing playing and I'm like that is a really cool protest I'm like can we have all of our protests like this this is great right what they lack in numbers they make up for in spirit and and <laughs> and just like consideration of the genuinely interesting aesthetic and like the yeah. questions they're trying to ask. I'm like, you're posing questions, and I like that. You're not trying to tell me what the answers are. Like, it was a really well thought out protest. It does sound very interesting. I might have to look it up. Yeah, it's um the all the coverage of it's only like four or five minutes, anyways. But uh, but that's the great thing. Like. <laughs> We don't have quite, like, we have white supremacy here. Do not get me wrong. I grew up in Ladner. I dealt with some of the white supremacists here. We definitely have a white supremacy problem. But, like, it's it's just not the same. Like, the things I see coming out of the U.S., I'm just like, I, I don't get it. Yeah. I get it, but, like, I hate that I get it, you know? Yeah, for all of America's issues, and believe me, it does have a litany of issues, what I find happens a lot with Europe and Canada is that, uh, Things are just discussed much, much differently. And this is something I thought a lot about when I was at um, 
converge. So I think America's problems with race are just a lot more readily noticeable and talked about. Um, when I've been to Canada and when I've been to Europe, the way that people discuss race and racism is very, very different from the U.S. Um, and you get a lot in the in the in the U.S. You have what's called this like faux nicety in the Midwest, and that's a lot of what I experience in uh, Canada and Europe, like this. Uh, mm-hmm. unwillingness to talk about stuff that's more beneath the surface. Um, Got it. So like I said, we get this like this faux nicety right now. Uh, I remember I was in the airport in Toronto and you know when you go onto the airplane they board you in like sections. So they'll say, okay, now boarding groups one through two or whatever. So yeah. I uh, don't have a lot of money so I'm always in like group six or seven or eight. Sure. So I stand up, they call like group six or seven whichever, you know, last group I'm in. And uh, I stand there and this dude approaches me, I mind my business in line. And he goes, oh, um, which group are you in? And I'm like, okay, I'm, I boarded along with my group. Um, and then this very uh, ostensibly nice sort of tone, this guy seems to be very kind, right? But he just like keeps asking me what group I'm in. And I'm like, listen, dude, like I told you I'm where I'm supposed to be. I don't know if you're upset because I'm in front of you or what, but I can't give you anything more than you want. And that's that's my experience, uh, like I said, in Europe and Canada. It's a right. lot more like subtle racism, a yeah. lot harder to name for what it is and call it for what it is, right? And even in – because I present a lot about race and gender. So even in my presentations, um, the ways that people pushed back on some of the stuff I said, I was like, okay, I can tell that this is perhaps not um, like it's part couch. of a lot of cultural dialogue yet. Um, mm. So I will say, like I said, for as shitty as America it is, it is a lot more um, in your face, which mm-hmm. I think leads to people thinking it's much more egregious here, which I don't know. I believe. I just think that, you know, suffice it to say, different things look different in different places. I don't mean for that to sound cryptic, but um, I do just think that racism manifests differently in the U.S. than it does in other places. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think especially anti-Indigenous type racism in Canada and the way that Indigenous individuals here are treated, I mean, as well as Black individuals, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think the most egregious examples that we see in the news tend to be settler on Indigenous folk violence. Yeah. So that tends to be more of what you see that people are willing to discuss. Right. Right. Whereas people don't talk as much about anti-blackness in Western Canada, which is silly because there's just as much here. So I, I definitely see what you're saying about like the phone ICD and like the desire not to talk about stuff. And I think the shitty thing about that is it leads to intense amounts of white fragility, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is something I've experienced with white friends. Even when you're not trying to um, say anything untowards, I literally had an instance where I was playing a video game with some of my white friends who I'm, I would even say found family, like people I really care about. Um, and someone referred to me as a savage um, oh. for how I had, uh, for how I had sort of handled the situation and that I had been really ruthless. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, I really don't like being called that. Like, please don't call me that. And it, it led to like a multi-day ordeal that almost fractured my friend group because I was like, please don't call me this word. Right. Like Which that is a level. simple, right? Yeah, it's, it's just a simple ask. Like, please respect my boundary. I do not like being called that. I'm not saying you aren't allowed to use the word. I'm saying just please don't use it f- about me. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. Right. I mean, obviously, it would be great if you decided to lose that to word in your vocabulary. It. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And right. that and shit just happens. 
which is like you said, a very simple request. Like, hey, just don't use that word in reference to me. Um, and that's why fragility really is such a great way to describe uh, mm-hmm. what happens. Because suddenly this very simple request, and that's not anything we're uh, not used to. Um, you know, we're at a time where we're very used to starting meetings, whether personal or professional, by asking people how they would like to be uh, referred to, what pronouns we'd like to use. So I feel like it's very much part of our modern cultural dialogue to, like, ask people how they would like to be referred to. So um, uh, a request like that is, you know, especially very common, you know, these days to say, oh, hey, don't use this word for me or please refer to me this way. Um, so it just, like I said, shows how uh, much fragility really is bound to it that, people see this, you know, mild request as some sort of personal affront or attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a character judgment. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we covered harm reduction. We touched yeah. really briefly on race stuff. And all of this came out of talking about converging quarantine. Right. See, there's a lot here. There is, for sure. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add about online stuff like let's maybe let's maybe move over to how your work in teaching anti-oppression type stuff um if i may describe it as such sex ed as well for sure it is go ahead i was gonna say has sort of changed during the pandemic to more of a virtual environment do you want to speak on that yeah um i also always struggle with kind of how to refer to my work or what I do. I usually use sex ed kind of as an umbrella term. And then I'll add on like, and race theory and gender theory and disability theory. <laughs> um, but I anti-oppression is like a much better way of encapsulating all those things. So thank you. I'm going to uh, be borrowing that from now on. Please do. I- um, it has changed. I'd say it's changed a lot and it hasn't. Um I'm mainly doing online services, not mainly, I'm only doing stuff online now. And so uh, before before quarantine, before this, you know, self-imposed um, or government-imposed, excuse me, isolation, I was still teaching stuff online, doing lectures and workshops that way. But I was also going to conferences or also going to like local venues and local events, right? Um, being that local events uh, have all also gone online, most of the work I've done has been, well, again, not most, all of the work I've done uh, with other organizations has been online. So there's this really, really cool group in D.C. called Post Binary, but like P0STB1NARY. Um, uh, and they're a really cool uh, organization. They're like a little uh, queer artist um, group led by some friends. And so they had a showcase uh, a couple months ago. They did several different showcases um, focusing on all sorts of different artistic stuff in the area, uh, the area being D.C. So like burlesque, singing, uh, dance performances, uh, people teaching the basics of different instruments and how to use them. Uh, so that was really, really cool. And I got to participate in that. And we talked about um sex and digital space um so that was a really fun conversation i did something for fem news mag which is uh ucla's feminist literary uh not literary magazine but their feminist magazine on campus cool. and we talked about decolonization and sex uh that was in the summer um and i did converge that was really really great and i was on a panel with kathy bartuli and jet 
uh, I was on two panels with them. I forget the exact specifics <laughs> of them, but they were both very, very good. One was kind of about um, desirability and desirability politics uh, and how desirability politics kind of permeate our culture. Um, so they were both really fun. So like I said, everything that I've been doing has been digital. So it's been a lot of um, Zoom calls, a lot of Instagram lives, uh, a lot of things. So I'm very grateful that we exist at the point in time we do where all these right. things are so accessible. You know, like we have Facebook Live, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Instagram Live, we have Twitter, Twitter has Periscope. Um, we've got Zoom, we've got uh, WebEx, all these different sorts of meeting platforms. Uh, we are definitely, I think, at the best point in history that we've ever been to sure. connect with others or share with others. So I am grateful for that, even though... Um, these platforms do create their own sort of fatigue, I would say, and they do present yeah. their own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, being someone who uh, I would describe myself as pretty extroverted, um, I've always really liked public speaking um, mm-hmm. and felt like I knew comfortably how to navigate it, you know? And so doing stuff online is very, very different, right? Because it's much harder to check in with people or like read body language or see how many people seem engaged. If I'm in a room physically, I can look and say, Oh, everybody in the first row is listening to me. The people in the back seem like they're like kind of straining to hear me. So I need to talk louder. This half of the room seems not engaged. So let me move over there. You know, when you're in um, a digital space, it's a lot harder to kind of navigate and figure out uh, how to do those things. So that's some of the challenge uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you kind of, fairly concisely outline some of uh, some of those similar thoughts that I've had about trying to work online and about trying to connect with loved ones when, you know, like, I don't want to get my mom sick. She's really old. <laughs> right. Um, so it's sort of like, how do you how do you navigate that? And like, to what extent does my not seeing my mom now trigger, um, you know, depression and anxiety in her from times in her life when she hasn't had access to her kids, mm-hmm. um, which has existed. So, you know, like she's reliving past trauma. She's struggling really hard through stuff. And I'm like, I just want to come over and be there for you, but I don't want to endanger you. Right, right, right. So like you said, we're sort of at this amazing point where we have all the tools, but it's so unfortunate that there's so much tech anxiety that so many of us have around using them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's also just um, a lack of tech awareness, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my grandmother would not know the first thing about even setting up a Zoom, uh, mm-hmm. hopping on a Zoom call. My mother, most of my family is the same way. And so uh, one side of my family has a Facebook group chat, which I think is about as tech savvy as they can be for the most part. It's like, because a group on Facebook is about as uh, technologically advanced as a lot of them are. And so I had mentioned several months ago, like, oh, we should all do a group call. And it was the digital equivalent of just like a bunch of blank stares. So it's just a bunch of like, oh, red at 645, red at 645. Um, And I could tell people were kind of like, what the heck is Zoom? Is that supposed to mean something to us? Um, But yeah, that's another big, big barrier is that a lot of people are alone and their kids or their um, neighbors or some other relative are the people who kind of navigate this tech space for them, help them do emails, help them do other stuff that they need to do. And so now that everything is um, online, people are really not equipped 
to handle that, which reinforces that loneliness that a lot of people uh, mm-hmm. feel, you know, and a lot of the ways, excuse me, that people are alone. Because it's not just about feeling lonely. People, many people are literally alone, you know, live alone, um, have been able to see their kids, have been able to see their uh, partners right. or relatives or family members. So, yeah, it definitely exacerbates that loneliness. Yeah. And it's one of those areas where I'm really grateful that I have existed in the sex ed and and kink ed worlds, because a lot of the skill sets that we learn about managing risk, understanding risk profiles, Mm -hmm. navigating conversations around risk, all of these skills are super relevant in the pandemic. Mm hmm. Yes, very much so. Very much. Even even figuring out your living arrangements, like who are you going to live with and like you know, people are doing their best not to see each other right now in person. And I think the idea of moving in with someone's really scary to a lot of people, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really increase your bubble size that much. And the relative health benefits might outweigh the relative health risks for that individual. It's really like a personalized and individualized sort of situation. I think the issue is a lot of that nuance is getting left out of the conversation, I think, because a lot of the mainstream folks just don't have that education. Yeah, you know, I feel like my career in harm reduction and sex ed has equipped me well to kind of navigate the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I've always loved and have spoken very adamantly with friends about um, is I really love group sex, not just because it's fun, but also because the times when I've been fortunate enough to have it, it's been with other folks who had a lot of group sex and did kink Mm -hmm. stuff. And so the emphasis, and again, I've been fortunate in this, uh, has always been on like consent practices and boundary practices and Mm -hmm. most orgies and group sex and um, uh, play parties at conferences I've gone to have begun specifically with like, okay, let's all do this consent building exercise. We're going to do two consent building exercises. And then we're going to all go around the room and like say mildest to wildest and mildest to wildest is an exercise. Excuse me. I love a lot um, where people will say, okay, what's like the mildest thing you could do tonight and like walk out of here happy. And what's the wildest? wildest, Yeah. It's a fun exercise. Yes. It's so good because it helps you understand your own desires, right? Your own desires in the moment. And it kind of helps you say like, okay, well that person's mildest is like, a three-way whatever or sure. um, I don't know if I can do that tonight. I'm going to stay away from them. Oh, but, you know, the mildest thing they want to do is hold hands. I think I can do that. So it's a really, really great exercise. Um, it, right. It's been through group sex, really, that I've had a lot of uh, help and guidance in articulating my own boundaries and understanding my own boundaries, right? And so now you have a time period where a lot of people are either alone or they're cooped up in the house, however big mm-hmm. or small, with one other person or three other people or four other people. And you've yeah. got some people like me who like to socialize a lot and you have other people who need their alone time and they're kind of butting heads because it's like, okay, how do I tell my roommate or my boyfriend or my grandma or whatever who I love and care about? Like, I kind of need to be alone for the next 10 hours. It's nothing personal. I still really love you, but like, get the F away from me or I'm going to rip your head off, right? And so I think <laughs> kink has been a space for me that's really helped me learn when to say I'm actually not interested but thank you or I actually need some time for myself right now or this is really what I want to do it's given me the language and tools to do those things um and so through quarantine I've been able to tell friends like hey you know I actually just I'm all right but I need some time to myself right now I kind of need to be alone hey do you think maybe you could check on me and five hours from now so kind of using those um boundary articulating skills that I got from kink and group sex 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It feels fun to, funny to describe group sex this way, to say, like, oh, yeah, I have group sex for the boundary exercises. It reminds it's me of what so I true, I used to read Cosmo for all the porn, and then I would tell people, oh, I'm reading it for the articles. I didn't even <laughs> notice there was smut in the back of this book. I was reading it for the education. So, you know, I'm, I'm having group sex for the education, not for the orgasms. <laughs> Just for the education and the boundaries. That's really why I'm there. Um, I have also had the fortune of being connected to group sex and orgy um, communities in Vancouver. But typically I divide my podcasts into like siloed content. So do you want to do a different session about group sex? And we'll call this one here. Oh, sure. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Lex, for being on the show with me today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.